0: All right, would you open God's precious holy word to Second Chronicles chapter 5 and also First Kings 8. These are parallel accounts, as you know, and so we're going through both books at the same time. We'll find out, okay. <clears throat> the great foundational truth for us as we study this ancient record of the worship of God's people is that God's people have always worshiped. We can go all the way back to, uh, Genesis and Noah, the first thing he did was made a sacrifice. He worshiped the true and living God. And he goes on from there of course as society has moved on in uh, time and the elect of God's people the nation of Israel have come out of bondage and we're seeing this in the book of numbers as well they they were organized and uh, and to 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 go to war uh, but they were also organized to worship. And they're very well organized for all of it. But now the wandering is over, of course, and they're in the land. And it is, it is the call and life's work of Solomon to build the temple. And he has. We've seen this. But now we've come in this continuing story about the ark here. And we'll probably go for another Yeah, but another Wednesday night or so uh, to complete the account of the ark of the uh, temple. I'm sorry, the temple. And all that it means, everything in there reflects in imagery the story of salvation, the the need for man, the call of God, the provision of God, the almighty almightiness of God, the deity of God, and the only one who can provide salvation for us, the true living God. So anyway, Israel his people and we saw that that interesting I thought it was rather beautiful that rendition we saw last week of the of the uh, temple itself, the animation of the temple. Now the temple. Once it's completed, there are uh, finishing touches to the temple. And it takes a few months from the completion of the structure to the time people actually start worshiping. Maybe you've asked yourself the question, how is it that all these guys can go in and they can work in the temple and they do all the stuff in what's the holy of holies and how can they walk in and out of there and do all of their work and and they go in the holy place where only Levites are supposed to go and how, how can they just get away with doing all that because we've seen very strict rules, law from God, from Yahweh about who can and cannot enter the holy place and the holy of holies. Well, here's why. Until the Ark of the Covenant is in the temple which is representative of course at least of the of the presence of god the temple is just a structure so that's why these workmen and and craftsmen and so forth can can uh, go in and out and work on these secret places in the temple uh, which only the high priest and then the priesthood are supposed to enter uh, in designated ways. This is how they are able to go in and do all of these things because the Ark of the Covenant isn't there yet. They couldn't do that if the Ark was there. That's, that's why the last thing is the Ark of the Covenant to go into the temple. Last thing. And then when that happens, uh, they are under the strict uh, legal rules of of Mosaic law about who can and cannot enter certain places into what's to be going on there. So we come to this place then where the ark enters the temple. So let's look at it together. We're going to start in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. Now all the work that Solomon did for the house of Yahweh was completed Solomon brought his father David's hallowed things and the silver and the gold and all the vessels he deposited in the treasuries of the house of Elkin. All right, so remember, Yahweh told David that he had been appointed, even anointed, as the king who was the king of war. That's why he couldn't build the temple, though he wanted to. And he made so many uh, preparations for it and had a lot of stuff already in place for Solomon to do the rest of the work. Um, We've already studied how these things that are put in the treasuries, these hallowed things, are in part things that were captured from enemies of God's people when David went to battle. Sometimes you might think, well, David went in and he defeated these nations and he goes in and he takes over and he gets all their stuff, especially their gold and their silver and he just enriches himself. It's not really what happens. It is on display. It is is not on display. It is captured and it is reserved and preserved in the treasuries So that the people of God can always be reminded how Yahweh gave their enemies into their hands and how he was with David all the time. And so resourced by God Almighty to be the warrior, he became known as a mighty warrior, a mighty king. And he established the boundaries then and brought the prosperity the initiation of prosperity and established the peace uh, and a a big military force that protected not only the people, but the trade routes that were so important because all of the trade in the known world in that day uh, just about had to pass through Israel somewhere. And so there was money to be made. There were fees to be paid and so forth by those who would travel through but they traveled through also knowing that they were protected from robbers and and highwaymen and so forth. They they knew they were safe because the military of uh, Israel was strategically stationed all across the land. And so they didn't have to worry when they traveled in caravans and they had very expensive cargo, they didn't have to worry so much about coming under attack from evil people as they traveled uh, the highways and trade routes of uh, Israel. David established all of that. Solomon continues it in a sense, but he also shores it up a little bit. Uh, And then he makes alliances with uh, other nations and their kings. And so he establishes peace as a man of peace, and that's his name, Solomon. David forced the peace as a man of war because in David's day, Israel was always coming under attack. The encyclopedia of victories was written in the hallowed things of David, the things that were surrendered, the things that were captured the silver and the gold, the vessels, and they were all deposited in these treasuries which were in the temple, in the house of Elohim. Then Solomon is now... Now, for the Ark of the Covenant and for the worship to officially be, be inaugurated at the temple is a national event. This is something for the people of Israel. And of course, the people... It is obvious that the people have been eagerly anticipating this time when they could actually come into the temple and, and they could actually offer sacrifices and they could actually, they could come into the courtyard and they could make their uh, sacrifices and offer their worship there in the temple. <clears throat> so the priesthood was always available for them. It says here then that Solomon assembled the elders of Israel, all the chiefs of the tribes, the princes of the fathers' houses of the sons of Israel to Jerusalem to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh from the city of David, which is Zion. Now, if we go back, you may remember uh, there was a little bit of difficulty when uh, they were bringing the Ark up to a certain place and David was king and they finally got it right and Solomon is going to get it right here. And he's going to involve all the people, all of the people all across the land. They are represented by their elders and their chiefs. Uh, But they're all, of course, welcome to to come. And it it comes across as the time of, of, of uh, tabernacles where people could come and they could camp out and enjoy uh, the festivities that were going to happen as the Ark of the Covenant is brought in to the temple. So, there we go. All right. Nope. I double clutched. All the men of Israel assembled on the festival. So heads of families, uh, all of these people are called in. All of the officials, all the people are called in. On the seventh month, all the elders of Israel came, the Levites bore the ark as it should have been. They were the ones, of course, who carried the ark as they traveled uh, through the wilderness toward the promised land. And it's written that way in uh, the law. And they brought up the ark and the tent of meeting. That is the old tabernacle. And all the sacred vessels that were in the tent, the priests and the Levites brought them up. So you may ask the question, well, what happened to that tabernacle that they used while they were going through the wilderness and which they set up at Shiloh uh, as the place for the time being? And it was that way for a long time where people could go and worship. Well, It's taken down and it's brought into the temple and it will be stored there, obviously, in the temple. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were gathered with him before the ark were sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered because of their abundance. Now this... uh, This, of course, would be a very high moment of worship. It would be very emotional. It would be be both a solemn time and a happy time. You'll see here that the sheep and the oxen that are offered to be sacrificed were so many that nobody could count them. So, in that uh, culture, in that society, God's people in the old covenant, the old economy, they were watching the privilege that God had provided for His people that He would accept a sacrifice and that atonement could be made for sins and. A substitute and then all of those offerings that we studied back in, when we studied in the book of Leviticus every, every kind of offering and so this goes on for a long time and uh, the sacrifices that were made could not be counted or numbered the priests brought the ark of the covenant of Yahweh to its place to the debir of the house the holy of holies the sanctuary to the place beneath the wings of the cherubim. Now that would, uh, that would be in, in the Holy of Holies. You remember those cherubim that were fashioned. Their wings touched each other in the middle and the outer wings touched the walls. The Holy of Holies to the place beneath the wings of the cherubim. And the cherubim were spreading their wings over the place of the ark. And the Kermit covered over the ark over its staves from above. Now each side had a staff and the Levites would, then it had rings, they would pick up the ark and these, this particular team of Levites would, would move the ark and now they would move it for what you would think would be uh, the, last, uh, the last time. And so it's carried in and placed in the, under the wings of the big likenesses of the ketubim, although there are also a smaller uh, likeness, there are smaller likenesses on the lid, the mercy seat, the, the top of the Ark of the Covenant, whose wings point toward one another and cover the mercy seat in the shadow of the wings. And then these wings, these bigger wings, ketubim, So they spread their wings over the place of the ark and uh, covered the ark and covered over each staff on each side of the ark of the covenant uh, as it was brought in. And they extended the staves so that the end of the staves were seen from the ark before the Debir. But they were not seen outside and they were there until this day, the day that the chronicler wrote it. There was nothing in the ark but the two tablets that Moses gave in Horeb. When Yahweh made a covenant with the sons of Israel when they left Egypt. Now the book of Hebrews says, you know, there was manna, there was uh, the rod that budded and all that. The book of Hebrews said those were included. Well, apparently those have not been placed back into the ark of the covenant. Because when it's brought in, the only thing here... Uh, that's in the Ark of the Covenant are the two tablets, the law uh, that Moses gave to the people. Ark of the Covenant, the finest wood, representative of the humanity of Christ, covered in gold, representative of the deity of Christ, the mercy seat where the blood was spilled once a year, yom kippur on the Day of Atonement. Um, and the high priest on that day would come out of the Holy of Holies and proclaim that God has received the offering and that the people are, are delivered. Now, the book of Hebrews says... The hiccup about that was that they had to do this all the time and every year and one high priest would die and another would have to come along and Christ does it once for all. He says in the book of Hebrews, all of this is metaphorical. It looks forward to the day of Christ and everything about this temple is a lesson of the salvation that God provides from the outer place where the brazen altar was and the sacrifices were made. All the way in and through to finally the holy of holies, which is which is to be uh, the presence of God uh, with His people. So the wood covered in gold carries the law. The mercy seat, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, in the shadow of the wings, received the blood, Was uh, the blood was on, poured on the mercy seat, uh, Day of atonement. Now, this carries us to one of the parables of Christ where the publican, the tax gatherer, was there with a a Pharisee and the Pharisee, they were both praying and the Pharisee stood proudly beating his chest, thanking God that he wasn't like this nasty tax gatherer and the tax gatherer would never look up, but he was humbled and on his knees and his face bowed before God. And he, he used the, the only place where the verb is used and it's in the Greek new Testament. But he said, he said, Lord be mercy seated To me, the sinner. He's definite article, the sinner, not a sinner, but the sinner. He was only focused on his unworthiness and he begged God to be mercy seated for him. That blood that covered the sins of the people. He wanted applied to him in his life. Well, this is the ark of the, this is that ark, the ark of of the covenant and the mercy seat there on it. So only Christ could keep the law. Thus the law deposited in the ark of the covenant is representative of how God will save us and redeem us. God is both love and he is just as well. His justice Meets his grace in the person of Christ, who is the law keeper. He bears the law for the rest of us, he who is at once both God and man. Now let's look at first Kings chapter 8 and the account that is given there about what we just saw. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes, the princes of the father's houses of the children or the sons of Israel unto King Solomon in Jerusalem to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto King Solomon at the feast in the month uh, Athanim, which is the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came and the priests took up the Ark. And they brought up the Ark of Yahweh in the tabernacle of meeting and all the holy vessels which were in the tabernacle and the priests and the Levites did bring them up and King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel uh, who were assembled unto him were with him before the ark sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted nor numbered for the multitude that were brought or given or sacrificed. And the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of Yahweh to its place into the sanctuary of the house to the most holy place under the wings of the ketubim. For the Ketabim spread forth their wings over the place of the ark and the Ketabim covered the ark and the staves thereof above. And the staves were so long that the ends of the staves were seen from the holy place before the sanctuary and they were not seen without, outside. And they are there unto this day. So at the time the chronicler or the scribe in the case of Kings uh, wrote these things when these things were recorded, nothing had been moved since the time that it was brought in. And then we'll see next time uh, the dedication and the prayer of, uh, of Solomon. So it was a very special, well, it was the height of their lives. It was, they were God's people. God chose them out of the rest of the nations of the world and he did that just because he's God. There's no, there was nothing good about Abraham. Uh, Abram. Uh, he was a, he, he worshipped a moon god, we're told. And um, they have all kinds of flaws and faults and failures, but by the grace of God, he called them, he chose them. He brought them to himself. He took them out of the place where they were and took them to a place that they didn't know. They just had to follow uh, faithfully. So now they've grown into this great nation and they are the people of God and God has told them all along the way how he will care for them and how he would make provisions for them. And he also told them what was expected uh, of them. Now, when this happens, the glory of Yahweh fills the temple. So we're gonna stay in 1 Kings 8 and then we'll flip back over to 2 Chronicles And see what that account is. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone which Moses put there at Oreb. When Yahweh made a covenant with the sons of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And it came to pass when the priests came out of the holy place, and the cloud filled the house of Yahweh, and the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of Yahweh filled the house of Yahweh. So what's happening? God's moving in. Uh, He's coming to be with his people. And here's what 1 Chronicles says about that. And it came to pass when the priests left the holy or the holy place. For all the priests that were present had sanctified themselves, not taking heed of the divisions. And we studied that back in the book of Leviticus, how they sanctified themselves. And the Levites, who sang, all of them, Asaph, Himan. Heman, uh, Judgeton and their sons with their brethren attired in fine linen with cymbals and with psalteries and with harps, standing east of the altar. And with them were priests 120 sounding with trumpets. And the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound to praise and to thank Yahweh. And when they raised the sound with trumpets and cymbals with the musical instruments and with praise to Yahweh, for he is good. Because his kindness is eternal And the house became full of the cloud Of the house of Yahweh uh, And the priests could not stand to serve Because of the cloud Because the glory of Yahweh Filled the house of Elohim So now God is present With his people Did we get that, that stuff ready to go? Got three Well let's just see which ones they are right, Before you do that I'll go ahead and do it and I'll see which one it is I'll have to talk about. Okay, as you listen to this, there was a woman who lived in the 20th century. She was born very early in the 20th century. She passed away. She was a master musician she was a hebrew woman a jewish woman she spent her life studying hebrew music and she actually rediscovered the musical notes of jewish of hebrew worship and what you hear here would be the actual chant or music That the musical Levites would have sung. She she came, she found the notes. They're based on, of course, they're based on the seven tones, And the eighth makes an octave. It's based on that. And she discovered that it was also based on Hebrew letters. So she was able to put the music, put the music to a, a score of music. Knowing that they did certain psalms. She would then, where they had the music to it, she would put that together. Turn it up just a tad. We'll hear just a little bit of this. the Ark of the Covenant and the ketabem on the lid and then the two big ketabem there, the high priest, of course. Uh, okay, that's probably enough. Maybe I'll just go ahead and give an invitation now. What do you think? Yeah, invitation. So if, what else you got? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's see what it is. I had five of them. I just wanted to show pieces of it. Uh, but two of them didn't get through, I don't think. Okay, this is another of the songs that the priesthood would have actually sung that we just studied about. Um, In this case, it's the priestly blessing. You're familiar with that. Everybody should be familiar with this. Mm. And spoke the Lord to Moses saying... Harun, I speak to Aaron. It's really Yahweh, but they, they would only say Adonai. That's good for that one. Is this the next one? We didn't get the musical instruments, did we? Okay. That's the lady I was talking about. She was able to finally decipher notes based on the Hebrew alphabet. psalteries and harps. And that's what you're hearing the guy sing. She has actually deciphered several psalms where she was able to find and interpret the music. And this is one of them. Okay, that's good. And this particular song zoomed all the way up to number two on the charts (laughs) right after Psalm 23. Okay. Maybe you liked that. Maybe you didn't. I like that kind of stuff. I can actually hear what Solomon heard in his day. Well, a rendition, a copy. I think those other guys are dead by now. But but anyway, okay. We'll stop there and we'll have our deacon prayer time.